Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to God is Gray, the podcast. Although I, as a Christian, believe that God resides in absolute truth, in black and white, we as people are stuck here on planet Earth contending with the gray. In church, gray areas often cause dissension, anger, and even hate. But on this platform, I welcome open dialogue, variety of opinion, and differing belief systems. God is Gray is meant to teach, inform, and simply trade stories with kindness, love, and mutual respect. If you have a story or perspective to share, please reach me, Brenda Marie Davies, at GodIsGrayXO at gmail.com. To support the cause and be a part of our community, donate to patreon.com slash gray. Now, on to the episode. Hi, beautiful people. Today is definitely the most sensitive conversation I've ever had with anyone. And I appreciate your kindness and love and humility in which you listen to this interview, even if you've come to listen to it, to hate on us, to... Um, doubt what my guest is saying about her father and her family. So either way, I just thank you for coming in with a spirit of humility, if possible. We don't know what goes on in people's hearts, souls, or homes if we're not in it. So this is just a conversation between two women that is going to be honest. Take it or leave it. Hi, Stel. Hi. <laughs> Um, Stella and I have been in communication for two weeks now. Yeah, I think so. About that, yeah. yeah. Almost every day. Um, and she wanted to share, or she, I don't, (laughs) wanted isn't exactly the word, um, feeling an imperative to share the things that she is going to share today. And, um, This is all about Matt and Lisa Jacobson, a.k.a. The Faithful Man and Club 31 Women. Um, Her parents are authors. They talk about 100 ways to love your daughter, 100 ways to love your son. And that is even something that's emboldened both of us even more to call out the BS that we've seen and the BS that she's experienced And um, we're going to talk today about corporal punishment, what that actually looks like. We're going to talk about female submission, what it looks like in theory when you see it in pretty Instagram photos versus what it actually is to live that life. We're both going to come at this with as much love as possible, but also no holds barred. Just tell the truth and say it like it is. So I don't even know where to begin. It's so overwhelming. Do you know where you'd like to begin? (laughs) Yeah. It's it's quite a bit a big topic. I would say that I you know confirm and, and um, echo uh, <laughs> everything that that you were saying. As far as I I just want to preface this entire conversation in that it's very easy maybe for someone looking from the outside to make hasty judgments or to say that you know, someone might not understand what they're talking about. And I just want to assure everyone listening that I have lived all of these experiences and that what I say is not, yeah, it's not a story. And I would appreciate if people honored that in whatever way that they could. Um, And I would like to talk about this because 
if you grow up in the environment that we're going to cover um, and in the culture that we're going to we're going to cover, it's very very difficult to speak out. It is not an easy thing. It is not pleasant. Um, and I just want to confirm to anyone who had has have uh, or will have a doubt that um, Brenda has taken so much time and care in this conversation and that there was a lot of hesitancy um, on my part because there are a lot of things at play in this discussion. So this is not a simple, it is not a simple thing. There's a lot of people involved and I personally feel like I need to talk about it because like I said, I have lived it and um, I have seen the effects both personally obviously and then just on other people and I would just like to call out some of the um, horrific effects of of bad theology and where this stuff leads I think it's very easy to talk about stuff as in a context of it not affecting real people and this theology and this teaching affects very real people who have to spend their whole life trying to recover from it. So my goal in this is to prevent some of that. If someone listens to this and feels validated in their concerns or their hesitancy about what is going on or what they're being told um, for how they have to live, I just want to be a voice that is very qualified uh, to speak on this subject and just encourage people to maybe look at it in, in terms of there are, there are different ways to, to live. Yeah. To live life other than what is being taught in this, in this group. So, yeah, I think it's worth just giving a bit of backstory for how we got here. And that is that I would argue that I tested the spirit. I intuited that something dark was going on with Dale Partridge. He's, bothered me and his theology has rubbed me the wrong way for a long time, but arguably a lot of people's theology rubs me the wrong way and I can see it leading to hurt. But there was something about him that felt very opportunistic, very entrepreneurial. I didn't feel it was authentic. And, um, and then when I researched it more, found out about his plagiarism and, and things like that, it just became clear that what I was intuiting was correct. And I didn't ever think about taking it any further than there. I just wanted, I thought, okay, this man is probably subjugating his wife, probably telling his daughter how to be submissive, regardless of how big her personality may be. Like I can see him following these teachings and also becoming more and more of an extremist. The more he would post about, oh, now I'm learning the original Greek and now I, you know, I have this great authority on the Bible that no one else has and I'm going to charge people $4,000 to get in line with what I'm learning that is superior to what everybody else reads in the Bible. Like him propping himself up seemed dangerous, was, is dangerous. But at the same time, I was like, well, whatever, you know, his family will survive, they'll be fine. Like they're making their own choices. Uh, however, I received many emails. I received one from like a former, I don't want to call her out, but a former someone that used to work for Dale that she said she suffered a lot and she needed 
therapy to recover just from what he taught her about being a female and her worth. And it had seeped in enough that she really lost a sense of self that she had to recover after no longer being in that world. And then the most disturbing email I received was from Stell. And just so everyone knows, there was absolutely no request to speak to me to, and, and definitely no request to say anything publicly. Email was just like, I want to thank you so much for calling out what you perceive to be true. I want to validate that everything you said is true. And furthermore, you know, my father took corporal punishment to the extreme. He was incredibly abusive to me and my siblings. And I just want to thank you for speaking out about this world. But it was like highlighted to me in bold in my spirit. I opened it. I reached back out to her and I just offered, I just wanted to offer my compassion and conversation because I was just led to do so. Uh, Stella and I got on the phone. We had a beautiful private conversation where she just really laid her heart out and told me so many things that had happened. And I felt very hesitant to ask her to speak publicly about this because it was so sensitive, so dark, so difficult. Um, so like I, like we've both said, it's taken us two weeks to get to this point where we've decided to sit down together and share this conversation publicly. Everything was done with so much care on Stell's end. Um, and how this is all related is that her father and, well, her father, Matt Jacobson, is Dale Partridge's mentor. That is very open. You can go to their website right now and you will see Dale Partridge promoting Matt Jacobson. You will see um, Isaac and Angie Tolpin. You will see, what's that couple from TLC? Oh, Audrey and Jeremy Roloff. Yeah. So they have like couples and then there's Jennifer and what's his name? Smith. <laughs> yeah, Jennifer and Aaron Smith. Yeah. 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 So this is a community of home churches. They all have their glossy Instagrams. And they're all growing in popularity and notoriety and their messages may be watered down to a truly loving family somewhere in Nebraska might not cause too much harm, but I would, and I, I will argue that it will cause harm regardless. These messages about female submission, who's worthy, this hierarchy that's placed on families is harmful at its root. It's, it's got root rot the whole theology is messed up. It's to me an inversion of the Bible, an inversion of God's love. Um, but then when we, when we take it there and we see what's going on up North, there is a cult like community being built and it's being built by men that have this tyrannical attitude, um, including Dale himself saying that everyone has to fall in line with his specific theology or they're not welcome in the community. So all of that is prefaced to say, this is how intertwined everyone is. And this is the community of people we are looking about at and talking about right now. Um, I personally am not saying that anyone else is, is using corporal punishment to this extreme on their children, but Stella is just going to tell you what her father teaches and, and what he mentors when he is mentoring. And I will just tell you as a fact-based truth that these are the people that outwardly say, this man has mentored me. So um, corporal punishment is, is definitely not talked about as publicly on any of these, these platforms, but it is a, a very strong tenant of my father's teaching, both in private practice and 
for who he mentors. Um, and I'm not sure where he got this idea from. I believe that he was raised in, I don't like this term because I think it's a cop-out, but like an old school type mm. family situation where, uh, you know, beating your kids was normal or was looked on as, as fine and acceptable. Um, and then he also became involved with and, and um, taught uh, Mike, Michael Pearl's um, How to Train Up Your Child. He obviously read that book and implemented a lot of stuff that is in there. Um, and yeah, the, the corporal punishment that happened in our home was, was very extreme. Um, there was definitely a, it, it did not come, it did not come from a place of love. And looking back on it, I never saw a sense of regret that, that pain was being inflicted. That just did not happen. Um, I don't pretend to understand the psychological reasons for that because I, I'm not, I'm not a parent, I'm not a mother. So I, I don't know if I'm qualified to speak on that element, but there was never a spirit of, I don't want to do this to you, but I feel like I have to. And I think some families who do use corporal punishment might feel like that, might feel like they have no choice, that this is what the Bible says, and therefore we have to follow through. Um, definitely from my experience, it was, I would say, just more darker than that. Um, I don't think it was a, um, I don't think it was inflicted with, a, I don't feel like I have another choice. Um, it was looked upon as the right way. It was looked upon as something that God smiled on, that God liked. Um, and obviously it was used to dominate completely the children because there was never a chance for us to speak out, speak against, have a say in what was happening as far as discipline went. Um, and definitely in terms of like a legal sense or any kind of, you know, social work sense, it was way over the line, 110% into an abuse category. Um, there, there was no, there's no doubt about that element. It was, it was into, uh, an abusive, uh, category completely. Um, and I do know that my dad does teach this to, to people he mentors. I've heard it many, many, many times, uh, overhearing him talking to people and, and him just telling or, you know, writing them and, and specifically telling how to implement corporal punishment, how much it has to hurt, um, and how if you don't, you know, basically the theory, which goes along with Michael Pearl's theory, is if it doesn't hurt enough, if you don't hurt your child enough, they won't repent. And my experience as a child was that I was a very tender-hearted child, and so even if I felt like someone was mad at me, that was enough. Um, and so there was lots of you know, feeling sick to my stomach, and it created a a feeling that I was never safe, and that um, I was constantly walking on eggshells, and that at any moment, someone who was much bigger than me could do whatever they wanted, and there would be nobody to help me, um, and yeah, it was just, it was a common, regular part of our home, um, there was a lot of unfair type punishments as well, um, where, for instance, like if my dad couldn't locate something in the house and he thought someone had misplaced it, he would line us all up 
and be like, well, who did this? And of course, being little kids, either you can't remember or the stress of that situation, knowing what's about to happen is completely overwhelming. Um, and so then we'd all get punished, you know, or someone would just take the blame to avoid punishment for the rest of us. Um, I don't want to go into the more statistic uh, details, but um, it was extreme and it was enjoyed uh, as far as I could tell. There was never any remorse for the pain itself inflicted. There was never any thought of, I don't want to do this to my child. Um, And again, I don't pretend to understand the psychological reasons for that. I think it's generational. (laughs) I think it's learned. Um, But I also think any parent or parent-to-be that feels like they have no choice, you do have a choice in how you touch your child and how you take care of them. And it's not, it is not necessary to use that type of force on your child. And I would say it is 100% evil. And if you have ever inflicted something like that, Um, I think it's a cycle. And I think even if you feel bad, you have to just pull back and stop and evaluate what's going on. Um, And for me, I felt like that whole thing started when probably when my dad was young and when he was experiencing same treatment and it begins a cycle. And then in order to not feel bad, you have to just convince yourself you're so right in doing it. And then it just gets worse and worse because there's no cap on the limit. And we were, yeah, so we were definitely, we were disciplined and had physical and mental repercussions from that. And it's something that I've had a really hard time working through. I don't feel, I don't ever feel safe around a man. Doesn't matter who he is. Doesn't matter if I know him personally. There's always a part in my brain that goes, this could go bad, and I will, I will have no recourse, I'll have nothing to be able to prevent something bad from happening to me, and I know that, that corporal punishment was a direct result of that, because as a child, the one person who is supposed to protect you is your parent, and if that parent is the source of, of fear and pain, then your brain just gives up almost, and so that's still a part of my psyche that's very broken, and um, Maybe one day it will be fixed, but for now, yeah, it's, it is the way it is. Yeah. So I wanted to address the idea of this like generational passed down behavior. And I just want to come alongside Stell and I've been given permission by my own father who has repented for his behavior. My dad used to cry every single Christmas and ask us all, there's four of us, if he was a good father. And you know, I myself spent so many years protecting my dad um, because you have this weird sense of like, I mean, they're your parent. You have this weird sense of needing to protect them. And I think even as a child, you can intuit when a parent is doing something very wrong. And even that for me, I don't know if you feel the same way, made me want to protect him. Like I didn't want to know anyone to know that he was a bad person or that he was doing something so bad. But generationally, he was beaten with a cat of nine tails, which is like nine belts wrapped together. And then the next generation, my older brother and sister had just one belt. And then me and my brother got an open hand. And then me and my brother will be the very first generation to stop corporal punishment altogether. 
so it can be stopped this cycle. And, you know, I obviously intend to do that, but like you said, that's not an excuse for behavior at all. And I do want to talk about some of your dad's specific posts and just the fear that comes in when you don't know what your quote sin might be like that the word sin even is so subjective. And in this community, the things they teach to be sin are when what a girl is too boisterous and loud when she's not allowing herself to be quote led by a man. If you are not being, you know, as feminine or as masculine as you're supposed to be. So one thing I did notice is that in Mike and Debbie Pearl's book, uh, they call children Nazis. They say, don't let your children become little Nazis. So your dad chooses to use the word tyrant instead. He says, tyrants come in all shapes and sizes, but some of the cutest tyrants in the world are two feet tall. What are you tolerating from your toddler? We call it, quote, behavior, but it has another name, sin. Defying a parent to his face isn't just a result of being tired, bored, insecure, hungry, off, or whatever adjective you use to smooth over how our child happens to be embarrassing us in the moment. It's sin. Rebellion rebellion against parental authority, oversight, and training is sin. God loves us, and because of that, he won't tolerate defiance and rebellion in his children, and he calls parents everywhere to not tolerate them in their toddlers. Next time we're tempted to choose comfort or convenience— in parentheses, our flesh over dealing with a defiant moment in our child's heart. Let's remember God's perspective on the matter. Quote, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. First Samuel 15, 23. And Stella, I've talked to you so much about how your dad does have this brilliance where he has covered his tracks quite well all over his website. He has so many posts that are just recycled old posts from other authors from the 90s talking about how to love your children. But to me, this post shows so much of himself. And I'd love to hear what you receive from it. But like, for me, the word tyrant is insane to me. Conflating insecurity with sin, to me, implies that a boy crying could get hurt. Or like, you you know, like that leaves so much room. If you're saying insecurity is a sin, what does that even mean? Yeah, I, like I said in the very beginning, like, the words that he, that he is talking about and saying and and what I'm saying are not, you know, they're not embellished, like, he does mean what he's writing, Um, and I mean, I, one of the very many examples, um, which I will not go into too detail because I will protect, you know, the identity of, of siblings and everything. But there was a, there was a child who was potty training in our house and as is normal. And, you know, they had an accident. And then my dad's response to that was to lay that person on the couch and beat them. And I remember, my older brother walking by and just being so horrified, like, so it was so evil. What age is this? That was, I mean, the person who was getting punished was probably two, three, probably Mm -hmm. young, very young. Um, and there, there, there's, there's so many stories. I, I, I want to not, I don't think it's necessary to like to dwell on the details. Yeah. Yeah. To too many of them. But when I say that, 
yeah I don't think my no I don't think my dad knows how to go easy I will say that um well, the, the thing too in this post that really freaks me out, and this is why I'm outwardly and openly going to be calling out this entire community, because your dad is saying, we're tempted to choose comfort or convenience, our flesh, over dealing with a defiant, defiant child. What that says to me is the people that he's mentoring, he's saying, you might not want to do this. You might not want to impose this kind of punishment on your children. And that is your flesh telling you. And this is why I put effort into last week's video to say Christians manipulate people and destroy people from the inside out by saying your flesh is evil, your heart is deceitful. I can argue the theology all around if you all want me to in argument to me if you want to tell me those things are true. They're not. Those are ways that people have manipulated us to tell us not to trust our bodies, to tell us not to trust what we are intuiting to be accurate and true. So your dad in saying that to the people he's mentoring is saying your, your body, yourself, your intuition is going to fight this because guess what? It is so wrong and people are going to sense that it's wrong. And your dad's saying, but that's your flesh. That's your sin. You have to go out there and, and, and deal with the witchcraft, the rebellion, the sin of your insecure, tired, bored, hungry, off child. And let's talk about how your dad passed an instrument of abuse onto a family that just adopted a child. Yeah, so my, my parents, mostly my dad, I would say predominantly my dad, um, believed in using a, like, an empty, hollow, white switch tube thing. It's a plumbing tube, basically, and we had, you know, six or seven in our house. They were stored in a closet, and there was a family, lifelong friends that we had known who had adopted a, a, a person, and uh, that person was acting out as is normal with an adoption process. They were not adopted as a child and they had had a difficult background. And my dad had counseled them like, you need to, you know, you need to use corporal punishment and you need to use this instrument because that's what effectively, um, yeah, hurts enough. Um, and my dad used belts and, and other things sometimes, but it was usually that particular, uh, <laughs> plumbing device um and yeah and he you know he passed that on to them and like I have said just openly counsels for corporate punishment no matter what you're using as an instrument but instruments are encouraged because the hand is not enough it does not inflict enough so and this tube would like a hundred percent leave bruises like it was yeah it was uh pretty intense um well, with that too, um, you were saying that there's this vilification, this us versus them mentality, and I'm going to call the Tolpins out for this one. I see Angie Tolpin talking a lot about how you have to homeschool because the rest of the world is evil. Everyone else is in their flesh, the world, quote, culture, quote, they're all out to get you. So you have this community of people that are becoming all insular with, with one another, and they're all reverberating these same toxic teachings off of one another. And then you have someone like Angie openly professing over and over again that everyone else on the outside is evil and out to get you. So when you have that kind of encouragement, I guess, basically, and also giving the children no recourse, that means like 
a child might not feel comfortable to reach out to their secular soccer coach and say, Hey, my dad's beating the crap out of me is, and, and also like you lose a sense of normalcy, right? Style. Like, how do you even know when you're in this community, what the hell is, is normal and what is actually this extreme? You don't, you don't know. There's no chance, like everything growing up, every movie, every book, every person I hung out with was vetted. It was all, they were, they were all allowed to only be in the group, no sleepovers, no contact to the outside world. Parents went with us everywhere. So there was never a chance of having any sort of idea that there was, there was something different. And I I remember going over to my friend's house and she got into like a yelling match with her dad. And I like my panic set in and I'm like, we have to get out of here because to me, if that, if I ever did that to my dad, like, yeah, it was just, uh, yeah, it would have been, yeah, I wouldn't have survived. That was one thing my dad made sure we understood. Like if we crossed him, he would not hold back. And that was always a very, very, very present thing from the time I was little to the time I left when I was 17 and yeah, there's, there's no way to understand what's normal and what's not normal. Even, even after I left for a couple of years after I, I did not, uh, I hadn't started therapy. And only then when my therapist was like, Hey, you know, it's, this is not normal. Like dads don't normally beat their children as a punishment. And this is not normal. And obviously I went into more details with certain things that had happened and she was just, she was the first one to be, and it was, this was recent. It was not, you know, like 15 years ago. So, yeah. um, and that was the first time I had ever looked at it and been like, wow, this is really abnormal. There is no chance if you are in this group that you have any idea that what you're being taught, whether it's, you know, women being, you know, subjugated, whether it's purity culture, whether it's corporal punishment, you have no idea that these things are not normal and my therapist was the first one to say that and it was kind of life-changing because you're not the government's evil you know no book compares to the bible and who's translating the bible for you your your father the man there's no independence there's no looking at things from your own angle or from your own sense of truth it is completely vetted every every piece of information or truth that you receive is vetted and is handed to you and it's like if you don't believe this then you're going to hell and And they're they're very open about that I can pull a clip right now of Veronica saying I don't need a theology teacher I don't need seminary I have Dale like and they really prop themselves up as these tyrannical infallible teachers and the other problem is to them conflating you know they vilify emotions all the time they're saying you're emotional you don't know what you're talking about your heart is deceitful meanwhile these men can be as emotional as they want to because they are saying my voice is the voice of god they're saying i'm receiving messages directly from the creator and he is telling me how to behave And you need to fall in line with that because there's a very clear hierarchy. And when you listen to, again, um, Angie Tolpin brings her daughter on and they've created a hierarchy in the home where first above all is Isaac 
and supposedly Isaac is the the direct communication to God and he always knows what's going on. And then you have Angie and then you have the sons and then you have the daughters. And it's said explicitly because she commends her daughter for bowing down and being subjugated to her younger brothers while they're doing chores. And they're saying, you know, this is a positive thing because they're falling into this hierarchy that is supposedly biblical. Um, And on the point of the government being bad, anyone listening, can you not see where this leads? This means that who are you supposed to trust outside of your community if you are being hurt, if you're being abused physically, emotionally, sexually, you have no recourse because everyone outside of this is evil and of the world. And also in, um, what's it called? The Pearl's book, Michael and Debbie Pearl, they talk about how to hide from the government. They talk about how to train your children to say the right things when child protective services comes and to hit your children in specific places where they're in public, they won't be seen. Was that happening in your household as well? Yeah. I mean, there there was, there was, a definite fear, a very specific fear instilled for any sort of government intervention. Um, At one point, our home fellowship was going to move to Idaho and build, you know, a compound basically to live together. We went to Idaho, we looked at properties that happened, that was real. Um, So yeah, there's a lot of like pretty basic cult elements happening where it's like anybody outside of us is bad and not only are we good but we're right and yeah. we have all knowledge we have all sense of truth um and everyone else is bad and even just even things like oh if you go to public school or oh and again some of the teachings have relaxed a bit but it always leads back to the same place and this is something i've noticed when listening to these people they go well like it's okay that your kid is in public school but And then they give a bunch of reasons and basically lead you back to the same conclusion. And the same thing happens with submission. You know, like we're not horrible people for being the ones who call the last shots in our marriage. We give our wives a chance to say something. But at the end of the day, it's the man that has the power. It's the man that literally calls the shots. So to me, that's a cop-out. That is a straw man um, reassurance saying like, oh, you know, so... But yes, um, we, yeah, we were taught that, that the government is not, is not good. I don't know specific, because we were isolated. We lived out kind of in the middle of nowhere. We went to a home church and we were homeschooled. So we weren't in a city. We didn't live in a city where we would have more access. We didn't attend school where people would see or know. And then everyone within that group is being led by my father. So there was obviously not going to be someone who stepped out and was like, hey, you know, um, and I do want to say also for anyone listening, just because a parent or yourself did not experience corporal punishment or severe corporal punishment does not mean that this teaching is abuse because mentally it is, it is abuse on its own standing. Um, this idea that your dad represents God on earth and that he has total authority over you. I don't care how young someone is. They are independent and they are loved and beloved and they have no obligation to the person who brought them into this world to 
meet their needs and desires. And I just think it's, yeah, I just think that whole thing is so toxic that you have to completely submit to, to your quote authority figure when they could be someone who's not good. And that's a whole nother. No, I know. I mean, let's, let's go down that rabbit trail because one thing I can see happening is that someone like Angie, Isaac, Dale, Veronica will get to be like, oh, well, now we're going to separate ourselves from the Jacobsons because they've been outed as an abusive couple outright. But one of my main points is exactly what you're saying. The physical harm is a story on its own. It is incredibly deeply harmful. But as someone that was a victim of corporal punishment, I would say that I don't remember being physically hurt. Like the memory... I was physically hurt, but the memory of the physical moment is not what stands out. What stands out is the humiliation that surrounded it and the message that I received, which was that, you know, you're not safe in your own home. And also this list of sins that's subjective to what your father perceives to be a sin. And this is where I would call out the potentially lesser, you know, um, terrible couples of this group being Dale, Veronica, Angie, and Isaac, um, and say, no, what you are doing is also abusive mentally and emotionally. You're telling your little girls, like they're very openly training them up for marriage. They're training them up to be submissive to a man. And they have all their flowery, flowery language. They have their Instagram filters to make it look okay, but it's not okay. And the reason is because, I mean, there's so many reasons, but women should never be subjugated to the authority of just human beings. And they're sending them out into the world to be those people. And the women themselves, I wouldn't doubt, or I think everyone is suffering under this culture. I don't think anyone is not suffering. The Mm -hmm. men are insecure and they're suffering they're getting their own feedback loop of encouragement to keep living in their, what I call genuine sin of subjugating their families. Um, their wives are suffering. You know, they all are, have this imperative to have a million babies and never stop whether or not they want to. All of the wives, right. You know, Dale were right posts and being like, Veronica isn't naturally, you know, submissive. She doesn't naturally want to stay home with the kids all day, but like, she's a good woman. So she does what she needs to do that's abusive. How can you tell me that's not abusing someone and and subjugating them to you because God says it's like, okay. I think, I think my perspective on these things is very simplistic in terms of like, if you're telling someone that they have to change the core of who they are to please God, that makes no sense to me because God made you the core of who you are. How is that logically sound? If God made a woman who is strong and brave and has ideas and has a, has a role and a place in the world to go enact, like if they're born in, and I'm like, I am one of those people. I was born into my body being a strong person who has a need to be independent, has a need to make my own way. That's not something I set out to decide. It's like, I'm here. This is me. Um, I was like that as a little, little child. And you're telling me that God made something, but then it's not perfect. How dare you say that? 
How dare you say that God made someone and then now wants them to fundamentally change who they are to please him? That makes no sense to me. I don't like that argument is illogical yeah. on its basis. And they're basing it on a couple clobber passages written by in Paul's letters that are taken out of context. My true belief is that Paul would be horrified if he could see the way his words have been twisted and perverted to harm women, children, LGBTQ people. But I know by the way all of these people talk that if a girl is loud and boisterous, that that is immediately rebellion. And then you take it to its logical conclusion of what your dad says, what's rebellion, sin, what is sin, witchcraft, you know, like these messages that these little girls are getting about the way that they're made and that they're made wrong is what to me is so abusive and their wives are getting the same messages too. Um, I wanted, go ahead. I, I wanted to bring up real quick. So I was, and I haven't really paid attention to this world for quite a some time. I also wanted to to mention that so people don't think I've been lying in wait to bring up these things. I really have lived my own life. I've, you know, I really have a happy life right now. And this only came up because I happened to see Brenda's video on Dale and I know him personally. Um, I'm very aware of who he was. And so that's what kind of brought all this stuff up. Um but as far as, you know, women being submissive, even if you're not a strong, quote, strong woman, if you, even if you naturally are suited to following someone else, this teaching is still harmful and it's still bad. And just you don't have to be a Joan of Arc personality for this to harm you. And love is telling someone else I want you to be yourself and I want you to be the best version of you and that is not what this theology produces it fits people into horrible boxes where the man is forced to have all the responsibility of financially spiritually and every way else leading a family usually of you know three anywhere from three four kids to like 10 11 12 16 kids and basically he's responsible for all those souls, which again is God's role. That's usurping God's role. And the pressure and the anxiety that that causes men who are not quote, naturally born to lead, who don't have an interest in it is very, very detrimental. And there were more than a few men who came into my dad's church who were like, you know, I just my I actually like married my wife because I like that she has an opinion and she knows what she likes. She knows what she wants. And that's comforting to me as a man. I like it naturally as a man to rely on her and lean on her. And my dad would go, no, 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 no. See, this is, this is, this dynamic is all wrong. The woman has to completely change who she is, calm herself down, hush herself into silence. And then the man, so the man has a chance to realize his potential. God wants a man to come forward in every case, in every scenario. And that, the, yeah, that, that just, that just doesn't go over well for everyone. And I think this theology separates humanity and it separates people from being in touch with their true selves. And if there is a man who he's called to gently support, 
the flame in his life, then there is, there is nothing evil or wrong about that. And saying that he has to suddenly become someone who he's not to make God happy is, is the definition of insanity. I was listening to, to a podcast of a young couple who I also grew up with, who also attended the church and who were also mentored by my parents. And she was saying like, oh, I'm really entrepreneurial and I really have, you know, like a sense of business, which is true. Um, And they were talking about how in order for her to be happy in their marriage and the reason why their marriage ran into problems is because she was too knowledgeable. So she would stand up to her husband and be like, hey, like this doesn't seem like a wise financial decision. And so their conclusion, and they use this word, their conclusion was, in order for them to be happy and follow God, she needed to be more ignorant. And they use that word multiple times in that podcast. And she's like, now that I'm more ignorant of what's going on with our family business, our marriage is better. And that is so crazy. That is that, that idea, which is everywhere in all of these teachings, all of these group, the, these groups and couples that I don't know if it's theology, but that idea is everywhere that the woman has to be quiet and dumb and then if she speaks up even if it's a good idea even if it's a right idea god would rather have her be silent than say that and say those things that she she knows and there's a lot of things we're talking about there's evil things and and but this is like that's just crazy like that's just a crazy idea on every level on every way that you look at it that this young wife is practicing ignorance in order to make God happy. And let's talk about silence because now I'm remembering, you know, I pointed out in my original Dale video where Veronica said this as like a a fun, great story, which really just shows her confirmation bias in this situation where her friend felt in the spirit, she had a word from God divinely. And the happy moment was that she was submissive. She stayed silent as God would call her to do. And Dale said exactly what she was thinking. And she was like, see, I was obedient. And the message was received anyway, because God, and they ended it by saying something like, see, God uses men. And like, it's a fun story. My mom is so gentle and so willing to forgive so many different kinds of people. And that to her, was the red flag that sent her tipping over the edge. She was like, wait, I think this is darkness. Like, what is that? So I want, you know, I think by the time this Instagram ministry that all of them have gets watered down to the public, a lot of people are like, well, surely it's not that literal. Surely women can at least pray or at least have some sort of say in what's happening in these meetings. Like they're having these church communities where obviously only men are allowed to attend the Bible school, right? this unaccredited Bible school that Dale has made without any accreditation himself. Um, Only men welcome, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's no, so women cannot hold men accountable in any way. Um, Wait, is this in the meeting or in their marriage accountability? Because that's not biblical at all. You're always supposed to be held accountable. I would say both. If you're, so what's taught in, the home fellowship is if you have a problem with your husband you have to go to him privately and respectfully and if you have a problem with another man you have to have your husband talk to that man for you which again veronica says 100 percent. yeah that is absolutely 
practice when I was growing up in that home fellowship, like, um, which I think is still practice as far as I'm, as far as I know, but, um, women were not allowed to speak in the meeting. Um, men were the ones to, you know, brought up things. The only thing that women were allowed to do was they would sometimes bring up prayer requests, but men were the only ones who were allowed to pray. Um, after the service was over, which this is a home church, so there's not that many people, the men and women sat in different places. So they just kind of separate and go to their, you know, their different places. And yeah, the women being silent thing is not a hypothetical in the church. Uh, women were not allowed to teach, not allowed to pray out loud. You could pray quietly, I guess. I'm not sure why, how that's different, but yeah, just as far as, and then any sort of confrontation or any sort of like, hey, I'm concerned that this person just said something crazy. Yeah, you, you have to go to your husband and convince him to go to the person. There was, there was uh, the second elder of our church um, literally had a whole sermon about women being liars. He said that sentence and he backed it up with scripture and how women are not to be trusted because of what happened with Eve um, and all that fun stuff, which I think is theology Dale still practices to this day. Yeah, I have um, a clip of him saying, why, why did the serpent come to Eve? Because she was more likely to be deceived. Yeah, so there was there was literal teachings that happened in the church where women were focused on in terms of how untrustworthy we were and how we, like God basically created men as a safety net for us. So we would not mess up or we would not lead them to sin because men have more of a direct access to God. And the quieter women are, the better it is for everyone. I mean, this is the thing. It's like, we can say, oh, who's this girl, you know, talking to God is gray. She's making this stuff up. You can confirm literally every single word out of your mouth by look a cursory view of any of these people's blogs. It's written out pretty explicitly the way that they see it. I just don't think people realize how quickly that leads into such deep darkness and, and what it does to people psychologically. Yeah, I think, I think fundamentally, you know, you're taught to not trust yourself at all from a very young age, not trust your emotions or feelings, your natural inclinations, your fears, like all of that is considered sin. And so by the time you get married, which I was, you know, I courted two people um, when I was very young, I should not have been allowed to do that. And the way it would work was the man would approach the father and ask him if he could court the girl. And that was all part of like the purity culture and the dad would accept, you know, usually, you know, usually the dad would say like, is this acceptable? But because you're so programmed that this is the only way, my only purpose in life is to have children. You would, you would say yes, because like a chance at marriage was a chance that you had to take because that was your calling. That was your only sense of worth in life. And so the first yeah. one, how old, so you were 15, right? When this first happened. Like, how did this scenario look? I was bare, I was barely 15 when okay. the, first, the first time happened. And it was a man or a boy from our our group. And yeah, we were friends and stuff. And he'd asked my dad. And the second time I was around 17, I believe. Um, but yeah, and women, women would get married in this group extremely young. Like, they would literally turn the legal age and get married. We went to a wedding where 
the girl got married on her 16th birthday because the, the state where it was happening, that was the legal age. So she was like 15 in a day and she married someone who was significantly older than her. Um, but yeah, and again, it was perceived as normal because the only worth a woman had was her ability to bear children. Um, yeah, and I just want to ask you, so when your your father basically comes to you and it's it's, you know, under this guise of like, oh, you have a choice or I'm asking you, but like you're saying, all of this programming leads you to believe there actually is no no is not an option or even that, oh, okay, this is the right decision because this is what I'm meant to do. But like, were you getting any sense in your body, in your own heart, God forbid, that evil thing that this wasn't right? Did it feel okay? Like, how did it feel to be betrothed to someone at 15? Oh, I mean, I cried in both relationships. Well, I don't, I will not call it a relationship. I, (laughs) I cried in both circumstances. I was, it was very upsetting, um, for me. And there was no sense of my dad. The whole thing is crazy. The whole thing that you would give your barely 15 year old over to someone to court with the, it was always with the intent of marriage. It was always, we were going to get married. That was always very clear. It was not like we're going to, it was not a normal 15 year old relationship where you know you are just experimenting you don't know it was like I'm going to marry this person so it was a very formal process um and usually people only courted one person and then got married it was very rare that there were like multiple breakups um but yeah like my happiness obviously is is not considered other than you know is this man going to be able to provide for you. I think that was a main concern that my dad had, I, I think. Um, but as far as like my personal happiness, it was not, it's just not a consideration in that theology. Your happiness does not matter. In fact, your happiness is your enemy. And we have to rely on, again, what the Bible says or what the elder says of the church, which is your worth is having children. And that's the only, and the, the sooner you start, the better. Yeah. Um, also, I mean, this sounds like what I'm familiar with purity culture where, you know, there's father, daughter dances, etc., And the message is very ancient. Like back in the day in biblical times, women were literal property of their fathers. It, it just was actually a legal truth that a woman was owned by her father. And then he would pass that ownership on to her husband when the father and him made a deal or whatever. And back then you could just pray and hope your dad gave a remote care for your own happiness, but not every father did. And women were less than second class citizens. So it didn't even matter. So now we're looking at this in this modern era where again, it's presented as this flowery, beautiful thing. Like I'm protecting my daughter's purity. I want her to be safe. And I am, I am, like committed to taking care of her and protecting her until I give her over to the next person that owns her and he now can protect her. So like, did you have any um, betrothment moment or father daughter dance moment or anything like that? Yeah, definitely. I will, I will say really quick that the person who's best qualified to protect and look out for you is you and because you know yourself 
and no one is qualified more than you as a person to be in touch with what you need in life. And I would just say that just to begin with. Um, yeah. So we had a ceremony, uh, when, when the, when the son turned 13, he would, all the men in the fellowship would get together and basically say, you become a man. Now they would give him written statements. Uh, my brother received a sword like a, anyway. And so my dad presented that to him. Um, for me, it was, and, and my siblings, um, of the same gender, um, we received a purity ring and it was a ceremony that we were pledging sexual purity to our dad until he gave us away to someone else. And I just want to say, like, with this whole group, with this whole theology, there is a very, very, very weird bent towards fathers being um, sexually over their daughters. And it's very weird. And you can watch documentaries about purity culture and the whole vision forum, you know, Doug Phillips, um, the ATI community. There are multiple stories of of these older fathers either abusing their young daughters or abusing other young daughters because it's a fetish. It's a fetish for men to, you know, be in the ultimate place of power over a a woman. Um, Even if she's young, even if she doesn't even understand what sex is. Um, And so, yeah, I had a, I had a purity a ceremony where I pledged to my dad at 13 to save myself from marriage. He gave me a ring and, and yeah, that, that definitely happened. Yeah. Um, I would love for you to tell me in which direction you'd like to go. Like, I think one thing that's probably important is to talk about the public facade versus the reality and what kind of public facade is being presented Um, I haven't shared this with you yet. I I found this very disturbing looking at your dad's blog. Um, Your given name by your family is Savory. So this is about you. Your dad writes in his blog, she was quiet as a mouse suddenly appearing before my chair. I looked up to see her looking deeply into my eyes with her penetrating intuitive gaze. She wasn't smiling or frowning, just looking at me, looking through me, looking into my soul. Then in the sweetest little girl voice, this side of heaven, my seven-year-old Savory said, quote, daddy, teach me while my heart is tender. Is that something you would have said? Is this an interaction that would have occurred? Like, what's the basis of this story? I don't, I don't have a, I have a pretty, pretty clear memory. Um, I don't remember that happening. Um, I think that's creepy. Yeah, you I found it so creepy just to clarify for anyone listening. Cause like I said, um, Stella and I have been on a very, very careful journey together for two weeks, including one of her best friends has sat in a com- like a few conversations with us just to lend support just to, and she was also a part of the community. She is privy to exactly what is happening. And, and she often was there just to clarify, like, no, Stella, you're not crazy. I was there. I saw this happen, you know, like, because I know that they can make you feel so crazy, like to read stories that never happened. Like you told me that you don't have one fond memory of your childhood. Yeah, I mean, I don't. And I hope I'm not like leading or anything. I'm just trying to like, yeah. 
again, I, I see things or maybe experience things simplistically. I don't know how you're supposed to be fond of someone who you're not safe around. Um, I do not view my dad as a, my dad wasn't a protector. Um, he wasn't a safe person. Um, usually if he was interacting with me, he was upset or inflicting pain. Um, so I definitely kind of just closed off to that and, you know, was more in touch with my mom. Um, and every, uh, you know, everyone survives dynamics differently. Um, I do remember him, like one memory I have was, you know, like we played in the snow with like another family was over and that was, that was an okay memory. But, um, but yeah, I don't remember once, I don't have any clear memories of my dad reading to me, of my dad going for walks with me, of my dad comforting me. Um, I'm not saying that those things didn't happen um, necessarily. Like I'm sure my dad read a story at some point, but in my brain, which, you know, everything was not, um, was not okay and was not safe and from a very young age. So, yeah, I think what's coming to my mind is that these two things can't exist simultaneously. Like you can't be walking on eggshells, terrified that you're going to quote sin in this very like subjective way of whatever might set your father off. And I'm speaking from experience too. My dad threw me across the room one time because I spilled milk on the floor. This is why corporal punishment's problem because it's such a slippery slope. First of all, it's a problem outright because you shouldn't fear is the antithesis of God. The opposite of love is not hate, it's fear. The, the concept of instilling fear into your child to me is outright satanic wrong point blank. But beyond that, like, let's say you could have a really concise list of these are the things you're actually worth getting hit on. Like, that's just not what's happening. It's not like, oh, you'll get hit if you sneak out of the house. You'll get hit if you get caught drinking alcohol or if you have sex with your boyfriend. No, it's like you'll get hit if you spill milk across the floor because daddy is in a bad mood. And when your dad has that countenance, when he comes home from work and you know you could get thrown across the floor for being innocent, for doing something that was a full and total accident, for being insecure, like your dad says, then how could you have a date? How could you, I mean, date with your father? Because dad talks about dating his daughter, which is creepy on his own too. But how could you remember fondly being read a story if you could do one little thing wrong by mistake and get punished for it in such a severe way? Like they just can't exist simultaneously. You can't feel beloved and cherish these moments and these memories and also be terrified all the time. I I will say, I will say as far as like my own experience and treatment was, which I'm only speaking for myself. um, But obviously there was other people in our family, um, but it, it wasn't, I was never thrown across the floor in terms of like, it was very, very specifically systematic. The abuse was very, it was carried out um, in a way that, you know, you would, you would see maybe in The Handmaid's Tale or something like that. There, there was never, the only thing I think my dad had control over was how he inflicted 
pain. And he, that was the moment he was in the most control. It was never like messy, if that makes sense. It was always like, you've crossed this imaginary line. You've dropped a jar on the floor or something like that. Or you've misplaced something. And now I'm going to inflict what I am going to inflict. So I never got the sense that my dad lost his temper and just had an uncontrolled fit of rage. It was in that moment, it was, it's, it was always systematic. I just want to, I just want to say that as far as my own experience. No. Yeah. That's interesting. And often, often he would, you know, he, he always had us subjugated when he was inflicting punishment. We were very rarely ever standing. He would make us lie face down on the carpet. Sometimes he'd make us wait there for 40 minutes, 30 minutes while he did other stuff. So we just lay there and think about it until he came and did what he did. But, um, but yeah, I think, I think it was a very controlled behavior. Okay. Yeah. I appreciate you, you saying that, which is also, I mean, I can't like pathologize what's going on at all, but that does align with what I've read of Debbie and Mike Pearl's book, where it's like, you're not sinning as a man by inflicting pain, as long as it is systemic. It's like, it's thought out. You're, they talk about the piping you described and the measurement. So it's like, everything is in order. It's this big, you hit them this many times, it has to hurt this bad. And then it, it pretends as there's some semblance of structure. So things won't get out of control, but it just automatically lends itself to things just being out of control from the get-go. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how well, again, it's, it's really hard for me to talk about this, so I don't know how well I'm explaining it, but um, I don't want to give the impression that it was in control in that I only was hit three times because yeah. the actual physical punishment was out of control. It was over the top, out of control, beyond, yeah, beyond, beyond. Um, but the, the preparation for the punishment was controlled, is what I'm trying to say. There was never a messy beginning. It was very clear as far as, I'm going to dominate you, I'm going to hurt you, and I'm going to do it in my own timing. Um, yeah. Um, let's talk about something that I find even the more difficult element of it, which is the mother who stands idly by. Is that something you mind talking about? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it, it's not something that I understand. So I don't know what I can lend to that discussion. Um, well, you know what we can talk about? Your dad's treatment of your mom. Did he ever hit your mom? Was she subjugated in this violent way? No, and that, that just created a very weird reality where my mom was treated very well. And so anything my dad did to the kids was, you know, we couldn't go to mom and explain to her or say things because, and I, I did, I mean, I definitely did a couple times and she just would not see it. Um, but yeah, she, she knew what was happening. I mean, you know, screams are hard to uh, cover up. So she, she could hear, but I remember specifically one time, um, one of my brothers was going to get in trouble and all three girls were at different ends of the house upstairs and, and they live in quite a large house. And we all heard his crying 
And all of us, without talking to each other, came running downstairs hysterical. Like, and this doesn't happen in our house. Like, but all of us like lost it individually from different parts of the house. We came running downstairs and started yelling at my dad or not yelling, but just crying and screaming at my dad. Cause we knew what was going to happen. We, we like an animal would instinctually recognize that cry. We knew exactly what was going to happen. We knew it was an injustice. And my mom came running out from the back bedroom and yelled at us girls to be quiet until we shut up and then we all just had to go upstairs and try not to listen so so yeah she she knew and that that again that was that was a that was a one-off experience but I will never forget the the element of instinct that kicked in and we were never allowed to challenge my dad ever no infraction was ever not a look not a word not a tone of voice ever tolerated ever and so for us to be in different parts of the house, to not talk to each other or confer with each other, to hear that cry and just, just the instinct that was so overwhelming of like, we have to put a stop to this. This is like, we have to. And then to have my mom come running out and yell at us and be like, you know, it was just, yeah, I mean, that's, that's evil. Um, I, do, I know I'm, you're making me cry. <laughs> that's so wrong. Sorry. It's just so hard, like, thinking about this stuff as, you know, I have a similar memory of of this happening to my brother. And it's a very distinct sound, like you said. And it's not right. And you can sense it from a million miles away. And the fact that you are all standing up, regardless of what could happen to you in the aftermath, in the name of protecting your brother you know, that's power. That's, that's being a mother, what you and your sisters did. So how do we address what is the presentation? Um, your parents have just released these two books on a hundred ways to love your son, a hundred ways to love your daughter. How can we hear this conversation and then also have access to these writings and how, how do they how are they even related how does this make sense I, I don't think it it doesn't make sense to me I don't I don't pretend to understand it I I have not read I was not told that they were writing these books I have not read these books um I have no interest in reading them for me it's personally very triggering um to read their blogs and to read their writings and have such a different experience uh, than what they're talking about. Um, but I, I don't think you need a hundred ways, uh, you know, maybe just a couple ways, like don't hate <laughs> children yeah. and protect them and celebrate them for who they are. And that's about it. Um, doesn't, it doesn't have to be a hundred. Um, I was not consulted in writing those books. I was not asked if, there was anything that was needed to be apologized for or to change or to review them. I think one of, I think that might've happened with other siblings. Again, I haven't talked to them about it, but yeah, it's quite, it's quite crazy to me that, that, that that is now out in the, in the world. So, yeah. Well, you're so brilliant. I've been in this whole process with my partner too. Like I've had my own moments of rage and, Obviously, it's personal to me, and maybe you could, you being whoever, could 
doubt this story because it is so intimate to my life as well. But it's, you know, my partner, for example, called me out on loving all people. He was like, I don't want to say brand because that makes it sound like it's not real, but he was basically like your whole persona, what you give off is what he authentically knows to be me, which is loving, forgiving, compassionate. And he was like, you can't pick and choose who you're giving this compassion and love to these people as hard and difficult and dark as it is are worthy of that same compassion that you claim to give people. And, um, and I believe that is what Christianity is all about in reality. It's not about all these rules and regulations and hierarchy and subjugation and all of these dark inverses and perversions of the Bible that this group and community is promoting. But I, I've been so stunned by your words and your gentleness with this whole subject matter as well. So to round up this conversation, I know we got into a lot of different elements. And like I said at the top, I was very concerned about so many different elements. Like what does it mean to call out people that I don't know firsthand? What does it mean to sift through assumption and what I read and my own interpretation of things and how they have hurt me versus what is actually currently hurting people in these worlds? And Stell, um, her friend that also helped us walk through this, and a couple other people that defected from that community or had things to say firsthand, really, I don't want to say emboldened, but actually just encouraged me to believe slash know that the right thing to do would be to come out with this. And I do also acknowledge that biblically it says come to people first one-on-one to call them out. If they don't listen, like bring one other person or two other people to call them out. And then if they don't listen, you blow up their spot. And a part of me in prayer was asking like, God, am I not skipping two steps by blowing up the spot? Um, But in reality, my first video, I do believe was an invitation to start some sort of dialogue, to have some sort of humility or, or compassion or understanding being seen in Dale. And his response to my video was to put out a video about internet haters and how every time he gets attacked, it's just confirmation that he's doing the right thing by God. And also, I know that he doesn't value my voice. And none of the men value my voice in this circle. And then thereby, none of the women might value my voice in this circle because they're subservient to these men. So the hierarchy and the system that was created are, is just plainly not include, like uh, conducive to me coming directly and having an earnest talk. That said, I'm not trying to justify anything. I, Stella and I worked ad nauseum, hours and hours together to make sure that we prioritized giving as much love to everyone involved as possible, giving grace, not excuses, but grace. And this is an opportunity to look. Biblically, it just says all things done in darkness will be brought to light. For me, our intention and what I intended to do was not to ruin anyone's life uh, or humiliate anyone, but to bring the darkness into the light and say, look at this. Just look at it. And objectively, I, in my video to accompany this, 
I haven't made it yet, but my plan is to show you articles, show you the words of these people. And, um, and style you and I talked too about how the main problem is this isn't just some weird little community that's kind of insular that's doing their own thing. That's being abusive, whether it be physical or not, we're not accusing the, the whole of the community of being physical. Although we are openly saying, yes, your dad did encourage, not even encourage, teach corporal punishment and tell other people that they had to do so or they were being disobedient to God. I mean, I don't even know if I'm babbling now, but I think I think it's just so important for everyone to know that we did put so much tender love and care into our approach in this. And this was the best path we saw because these people's voices are loud and they're proud and they're growing and their Instagrams are growing and her parents, you know, the Jacobson's books are selling and they're selling a lie. And we're just telling you they're selling a lie. <laughs> I don't know. What are other thoughts you have, babe? Yeah, I, I think it's um, unfair to say there's a one right way to approach this kind of subject because it is so complex. And I will say that we individually and the other people involved gave it the absolute best shot and I would just appreciate people listening to like Holy Grace for that. And that there's real, there's, there's no real simple way to ever talk about something like this. Um, I'm very aware and hyper aware of that group. I grew up with them. I know all these people personally. Um, I'm definitely not obviously fabricating any, any of the things I was saying or embellishing them for, um, any purpose because I know that it, it just wouldn't make logical sense because of how connected that group is. And, and I will say that I was asked, not pressured, but I was asked in different ways and different, you know, on different platforms from Brenda as she's putting together this story or this, this truth. Um, and I was very hesitant. I had a very hard time with it. It was, it was, very difficult for me. Um, and I don't need, I don't need anyone to, to believe that because I can see someone coming to this and maybe imagining that I am stronger than I am or that I just have it easier than, than they can picture, but it's not easy. It's not easy for Brenda to read these things. But the reason we did it is because it's really, really not easy for the people who still are suffering under this kind of theology and authoritative structure. Um, I personally did it for the wives and daughters and young sons of these people who will have years if they ever are free of it, but years of just heartache and trying to rework their whole concept of themselves and life and love. And I just want to give life the best chance that it can. And so that's why I did this. It was not it's not for any other reason. I am certainly not getting anything out of this. I do not take joy in this. Um, but it is real. This, this group is so widespread. And I had mentioned that to Brenda in the beginning when we first started talking, which I even was not willing to very hesitant. Even the first conversation that we had, I wasn't sure about it. 
Um, but this group is widespread and it's not, like Brenda was saying, it is not a tiny fraction of a hidden community somewhere in rural Oregon. It's, it's spreading and it's popular and it has consequences. And I just wanted to come on here and say like, I am a real person. I'm flesh and blood and I am standing up and saying this is this is harm this is evil and there are real consequences to this kind of teaching and belief and theology so that's that's why i have spoken up and and now that you have all been introduced to stell this is why i'm doing it as well like listen to that woman's power everything that she's had to overcome just to be remotely comfortable in her own skin and you know I've said it before that the word Satan translates literally into the divider and we're supposed to be looking at the fruit, the division, not only in people's bodies and souls and minds is so apparent, but also you can lose your family in the end being so alienated and alienating, you know, these people. And if any of you all are listening, I truly do love you. And I truly do want the best for you and your families I'm just standing up to say I'm a purity culture survivor. I don't have a chip on my shoulder because I'm mad at somebody. Like, it's not like that. It's, it's caused me over a decade of, of pain, over a decade of trauma, of trying to realign my sexuality, my spirituality, my sense of God, whether or not he loves me, whether or not I'm going to go to hell for just being the woman that I am. And and it's taken me into my 30s to actually find a true man that stands up for me, that has my back. He's been supporting me through this entire thing. And he, to me, has been an example. Men, if you're listening, there's a path to be the man that you've always dreamt of being, someone powerful. And that is my partner. <laughs> you could take a nod from him. Power is lifting up your children and your wives in their own power in never minimizing them and never telling them that who they're inherently made to be, including sexual orientation is anything that's flawed in them. You are meant to cultivate their gifts. And by the way, don't anyone go accusing me of not being willing to discipline. I will absolutely discipline my son. I believe in, in respect and and the authority that I have as a parent, but it's not going to look like fear. It's going to look like love, true love. And I'm really calling all of you to embrace that love. And Matt and Lisa, if you're listening, we just pulled your stuff out of the closet and I want you to look at it. We love you all. Thank you so much for being in this conversation. Stell is open to continuing this conversation, so we don't know what's going to happen from here, but we will still be standing together in alignment with her best friend that has her back, in alignment with the God is Great community. Anyone that's willing up to stand for us and have our backs, you are welcome. We need as much support as we can get. And it's not about trolling and attacking these people. It's about encouraging them to embrace true love and true Christianity, which is love, not fear. And we love you all. God bless.